Well, I think that spring might have sprung out here finally. Same here. It's going to be 70s this weekend. Flowers are all up and shit. I mean, it's not everything is like blooming yet, but magnolia tree in the neighborhood's about to pop. There's a bunch of like hyacinths and, you know, flowers and stuff. It's supposed to be really good weather the rest of the week, which will be good for us when we have to cook out next Sunday. I think people need the opportunity to get outside. Things are a little stressful right now. My, I have a bunch of friends and people in like the ag industry who, you know, you always hear older people say, well, I've seen this before. This was for a lot of people, the wettest winter that anyone's ever seen in Northern California. And I think statistically there hasn't been this much water since sometime in 19, in the 1950s. But is that a good happened. thing or a bad thing? Well, um, from a, uh, a luxury standpoint, it's been a little inconvenient. It's been colder mm -hmm. also, but it has filled all of the reservoirs and, and, you know, taking care of all of that drought stuff. Ironically though, in several parts of the state and it was a big thing in Southern California around LA Gavin Newsom's administration didn't allow people to use their I don't know what the classification is but basically like emergency water collection facilities hmm. and interesting why because it it needed to go through a certain process of bureaucratic approval so as the rain was coming down, a lot of it wasn't allowed to be collected and like millions of gallons would just run into the ocean every day. And, and so uh, the opportunity to, to help LA also not be in drought and have to steal water from Northern California. And the Colorado River. Yep. Yeah. Nice. For no, for That's... no real reason, just bureaucracy. And this is the same administration it's really that it's the same administration that has uh, been attempting to reroute the water from the Delta in Northern California mm -hmm. down to Southern California farmers, which is fucked up. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when like bureaucracy works, it works, but most of the time it's like a hindrance. Um, if it's like you need to move fast or just make rational decisions about certain things like what? checks and balances are good sometimes and mm -hmm. there are levels of bureaucracy that like protect you know individuals supposedly uh but i think like <laughs> if you were to ever go to try to get anything done pre-pandemic it's also very interesting like the stress that the pandemic put on like certain bureaucracies to become more efficient the pre-pandemic uh, the entire bureaucracy in Greece pretty much was paper. Like you'd go into these buildings and you'd see people open up a door and there would be like, it looked like something out of like a, uh, like, like, like a, a, a library from like the 1800s. It's just stacks of paper. 
And then they automated everything because they had a very strict lockdown and no one could go out and like pay taxes and stuff. So because they need people to pay taxes and because they need people to pay the government money to like get certain permits, whatever, they like automated everything, digitized everything. And now they have like better, I think, like municipal apps than <laughs> Chicago does in Athens. That's funny. They they yeah. finally got stuck inside. So they're like, I guess I'll organize these papers. Yeah, because no one was no one was spending literally. I've had to spend like days, hours, and days at places to just get like to talk to someone, let alone to actually get anything done. It's like part of it's like a, a rite of passage when you live there, which is interesting. Is that something that that at times, as a person that lives in Greece, you actually like? Yeah, I, so I think like. Uh, my experience living there is that there's always like a workaround and i think that people have had to become not only like kind of criminals and i mean that like in a light sense but like you know in order to they make it so difficult to do things appropriately that people have to find a way to do things to just live their lives in general so there is a lot of um there's a lot of like uh, figuring out there's a word for it in greek too like specifically to like figure out to circumvent certain things or to just get stuff done that just happens on the on the daily so your life kind of is a lot more complex in some ways and and i find that it makes them better adjusted people or like more skeptical or more you know um what's the word i'm looking for resourceful it makes you resourceful uh, versus like having everything done for like in front of you it's not a good thing because it, it really is a is a more of a barrier but it forces people to be resourceful the other nice thing is they don't really enforce things like parking laws or speed limits or things like that like they'll come out Bullshit. once a month and enforce yeah yeah they don't so you kind of self-regulate with all that stuff too which is really nice like you can park your car anywhere you'd like really and if someone has a problem they'll come and fuck your car up or people will be honking until you come out and move it or they'll yell at you which is a thing that i think it gives people a little bit more autonomy you're not like relying on somebody to come and take care of your stuff but then there's there's a lot of problems there too it's not like it's a utopia you know it's just uh it is what it is well when you are so rigid that you can't go outside the lines i think that sometimes that transfers to almost a generation of people who are less resourceful mm -hmm. yeah for sure for i remember sure. having thoughts and i don't know what it was like in europe and i know that a lot of people really did lock down but i remember during the pandemic just having my mind blown at how many like grown men were were sitting at home scared waiting for the government to tell them what to do and yeah. not exercising any common sense and i think that this country for law all of its pretending to be cowboys has really developed a like a, a really effective system of keeping people obeying the laws and obeying the protocols even when they make no common sense yeah, I mean, I think you also see that in other countries where there's a lot of like order and 
stability. Uh, I haven't lived in Germany, but I would assume that, you know, because everything like runs on time and is efficient and effective, people seem to kind of like go along with, you know, certain aspects of the government. Kind of like China um, too. Yeah, maybe. I, it's, you know, I've never been, so I can't say, but I also feel like China has like a chaoticness to it that like, it seems like such a big country. It's so chaotic, but they seem to be, they seem to be kind of doing a lot of interesting things uh, in moving into a, I don't know, like a future that might be good for their people. So like, that's the other thing too. It's like, what's good like what's ultimately good for the people in your country. I mean, I don't know that what's happening here is necessarily good for us. Like, sure, there's some stability. There's a lot of stability, honestly. There's a lot of opportunity, but we also have a lot of unwell people here. Uh, I don't know. I'm not, and I'm not saying that like authoritarian regimes are good, but I am also saying that like we are failing with the amount of freedom that we supposedly have here, we are failing to successfully cultivate people to be living their best lives and maybe that's what ultimate giving people the ability or the perceived ability of having freedom is that you can't i don't know you end up like sitting in your house and playing xbox all day or not leaving your house because you can get everything delivered um i don't know i mean i sat at home kind of during the pandemic i worked from home i was very fortunate it wasn't like people who had to go to work and were like okay am i you know, because no one knew, like, am I going to get sick? Am I going to get that? Am I going to die? Or am I going to whatever? It's a dichotomy here. I think people are very lucky and also are very unlucky at the same time. Um, and we have like, we have a, a stratification of like different opportunity here. And for those people who uh, are lucky and don't know it, it's sad. You know, it's sad to like feel like you're hopeless when you have a lot more opportunity than a lot of other people. But maybe you don't. I don't know. Maybe that's the truth. Maybe people don't actually have as much as we think they do or they say that we do, you know? Well, we definitely, relative to history and relative to many places in the world, we certainly have a lot of opportunity. I think it's just questionable. Um, how real what's advertised as far as that goes is and um you know we have we technically have a republic we don't even have a democracy mm -hmm. it's a, funny. what is it like a, Demo a democratic republic right technically yeah technically yeah and um i think that like very recently i saw someone arguing about it was ultimately about giving the ukraine money um but they were it was some government official and they were making a statement you know one of america's duties is to spread democracy around the world and i find that funnier and funnier the older i get because i don't understand why that's any of our business like the i totally understand securing that... our state but like, I don't see mm -hmm. how spreading democracy secures our state, quite frankly, especially when there's as, uh, as much uh, freedom around the world as there is. 
So I think our major export has been democracy and not even through our military action, but through our cultural uh, impact. Our dollars. Right? And I think that our dollars, our art, our society, the conversations people are allowed to have here. And I feel like when I hear spreading democracy across the world, what that really is, is securing footholds in geopolitical regions that right. are significant to and also securing resources. It would be better if someone said protecting our interests. See, the thing is, like when I hear like spreading democracy, what that really is, is like protecting our interests. I just wish it would be really nice at some point to have a politician that was honest about what we're doing and that and then people could really have a, a legitimate reaction to whether they feel it's good or not. You know, like the only thing that really ends up like, and even that has changed, like declaring war is like probably the realest action. But if you, if you were like, Hey, we're going to put bases in Turkey because it's important for us to have like some sort of a net around that area of the world with our fighter pilot capabilities. They said that instead of saying, we're reaching out an olive branch for peace to the middle east and we are that you know like don't sugarcoat it just say what you're trying to do you know, just say that you know this is important for our i don't know economic and domestic freedom to ensure that we have jets that can <laughs> shoot chinese balloons out of the sky all over the world and not you know i mean like i and i know that that's never gonna well maybe it will happen at some point i'm hopeful that there will be some people who've had enough uh and no matter who you're voting for in this upcoming election, no one is telling it to you straight. That's that doesn't happen anymore. And those people who do get marginalized, pushed to the sidelines. Like I, I know people are talking about the decline of an empire, and it. I hope it doesn't happen here. I mean, I think it has been happening here, but you read about like what happened in the Roman Senate. Like for example, if you read Julius Caesar, right, or if you like hear about that, like. You think about what happened in the Roman Senate, the same shit that happened in Rome is happening here right now on Capitol Hill. It's the same shit. It's people, uh, you know, they're using um, their influence to gain votes, to gain traction, to wheel and deal, backdoor, you know, back, what is it, the backdoor deals and all, you know, it, people have been doing that since democracy was founded. Like, that's the irony, you know. It was much it's, more it's, romantic it's a, back then. It was even more romantic to watch that played out in the movies. You know, yeah. it's well, that behind exactly a pillar it. and offer yeah. some some yeah. like prostitutes of both sexes and say, mm -hmm. I'm gonna get you this this land and everybody'd be cool. And then you'd be like, Yeah, you fucked them over. Now it's just like well, creepy pedophiles. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then the other thing too is like, you know, they they canceled the people back then too. Like they would cancel them by like besmirching their name. But then still like to this day, if you think about it, it's like, okay, we've had Kennedy being assassinated and people still talk about Julius Caesar. Like it's interesting that assassinations ha like for the same reason would happen then that they happen now. And they're so such a big deal that they changed the course of like nations and politics, you know, uh, but nothing has changed. Like there's still, there's still groups, deep state groups in ancient Rome, you know, knives in the dark, like stabbing Caesar in the back. His his homie, I mean, his best friend, Brutus, 
I heard a great quote, you know, last night in the shower. And the quote was, history is not a record of what happened. It's a blueprint for the future. Yep. Yeah. We can't help ourselves. Our, our human nature forces us into repetitive cycles of behavior based on stress and like our monkey brain. If a bunch of people feel threatened, they're going to find an if someone's interest is threatened, they're going to find a way to do something about it. The ultimate outcome being violence and erasing someone off the, off the, off the board, but they're going to like, I mean, it happens in primates too, right? Don't they like, they try to like ingratiate themselves. There's like a hierarchy. I mean, that just is happening, but played out with a little bit more complex interactions between human beings. It's, it's the same thing, like establishing pecking orders, exerting dominance, exerting influence, bartering trading we haven't changed no that's changed still the same we're just using different methods more and more and some of them are less violent but ultimately that's where it it leads right it's like that's where it leads killing someone if you can't do anything else the easiest thing sometimes you know when they got kennedy because he was ruffling a lot of feathers and he was largely peaceful largely right which so you can't you can't like if you can't besmirch somebody if you can't like you know fuck with their reputation or they're like untouchable you know ultimately maybe killing them i think about that too it's like what happens if someone assassinates well or kills like rogan you know some at some point it gets rogan and elon get killed and it, we're just in the dark this They'll just be Jordan man. Peterson left, and nobody's going to listen to that guy. Nah, I'm good. Especially I'm when good he doesn't that. have anybody respectable like like co-signing him. Yeah. One of my favorite things about the history of Greece and Rome was their scholarship, their embracing of of philosophy and science and and understandings and um, taking their security and developing themselves and culture with it. And well, I, I'm interested in your take on that in a second, because that's of course the story of history that I've heard a couple of weeks ago before Trump officially got indicted. He had uh, given one of his speeches. No, it wasn't even a speech. It was just a post on Truth Social, and it was it was a great post. It was it was funny, you know, as a comedian, game recognizes game. But he called Ron DeSantis a gay pedophile, and he he went up in the polls uh, as far as the Republican race, forty percent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Goes up 40% for calling Ron DeSantis a gay pedophile. And something that I think gets lost on like a MSNBC or a Fox News report is that isn't what Republicans think or value. That's what the, the conservatives who answer polls value. And that's a yeah. very unique subset of people 
they're like retarded and bored. Mm -hmm. I've never answered a poll in my life. And the couple of times I've been called by those creeps, I hang up immediately. Same. I'm, I'm, yeah, you've never answered a poll. No one that I respect has ever answered a poll. And, um, you know, you and I have these conversations coming from, relatively speaking, this ultra-literate um, space. We're, we're both relative to the rest of the world and the rest of the country. We're like ultra-educated. And mm -hmm. yes, that involves some degrees and stuff. But it also involves skills and and reading experience. and experience. Yeah. And when I say reading nowadays, of course, that also involves, for better or worse, YouTube, but audio books. Mm -hmm. But we, we take mm -hmm. in lessons. Mm -hmm. And that's not everybody. That's not the people responding, well, I like Trump more because DeSantis is a gay pedophile. Mm -hmm. Um. And it's depressing to me. It's not depressing. It's disheartening to know that our reality, when we have all this information at our fingertips, is that people are still not interested. Many people are still not interested in the actual conversations about, you know, what government has the power to do and what they're doing around the world. They're more interested in, in who might be a gay pedophile. And of course, if someone actually was a gay pedophile, that would be bad. But Ron DeSantis graduated from either Harvard or Yale. Like mm -hmm. he was in the military. <laughs> he was a council, a, a counsel for the military for several important conflicts and wars. Mm -hmm. uh, like he's not an actively gay pedophile. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, well, it's also like you have to think about like incentive to like so much like you always have to calculate like statistical bias, right? In any sort of like survey, test, whatever. And we rely because we have just gotten so used to seeing like data thrown at us and reading headlines and so that we never like take a step back to think about like, like, for example, you know, some of the research that was coming out in the early stages of COVID was like, oh, well, they were doing all these tests and they were running all these, uh, you know, and, and, and the sample size would be like five people. And then it was like, oh, 100% this or, you know, 90% that. And, and so yeah. you, we, unless you really have, you really have to be um, driven and proactive to like understand like who's doing these surveys. Because even certain survey groups have a political bent and a bias and, and so and when you I, look at the groups their their polls are always actually wrong like the polls that said right. clinton was going to win against trump yeah yeah and and then there's all this pop right and there's policy made on this and there's opinion that then gets disseminated by like certain certain media to their respective base too like you know if you're a conservative who is you know blue collar or whatever or a democrat is blue collar a lot of the time you're going to get like data about the other side about the other side of the group that's going to just you know like validate your bias you know and these surveys these polls the, these this dialogue that's happening like you know you and i might disagree just 
theoretically on a number of things politically but not even theoretically all the time yeah yeah and we'll still like have we'll still have um a beer and be friends and whatever and i think that that's a much larger population than we're led to believe by to your point these polls which you know are are reactionary like it's like someone posts something on a social media platform and then there's a poll about it and then there's like reaction like all that is all that is not real there's a there's a lens there's a you know there's an angle there's and and we have to remind ourselves that because it's very easy to go through your day with your normal stresses of just trying to survive get by whatever and then to be bombarded by all this stuff um i think the government kind of going back to your thing about control in the government they have a uniquely and this is not just the us i think globally people realize like they are uniquely capable of misdirecting from things that they're trying to accomplish and this is not even the government as a whole groups within the government like the whole the, when we say the government it's funny yeah like there are groups within groups that don't even know what the other one's trying to do. And they're just trying to get some sort of like a personal benefit from making a decision. Yeah. And, and, and the dysfunction is everywhere. And I think that, I don't think that you'll ever have, unfortunately, I don't think you'll ever have when people have the freedom to kind of like, like do this. I don't think you'll ever have a, a, a truly like uh, beneficial or altruistic government. I think the only time that that happens is with authoritarianism and I'm not advocating for it, but when there's one person making the rules and everyone falls in line with that, it's a lot easier. Like my, my stepdad would tell me during the military junta in Greece, which wasn't great at all. He's like, yeah, a lot of the, the, the best public works happened because it was just, there was no one arguing. It's like, okay, we're going to build these roads and we're going to do it this way, this way, this way get done. it done or or else yeah and, and it's unfortunate that that is a much more effective at least when you talk about like a, a, a large population i mean uh, and and so democracy is great because you get a lot of freedoms but within within those freedoms the double-edged sword is then you have people acting in their, for their own self-interest and i think that that's never going to change really well back to my gay pedophile poll so of course you don't know right but you are well you're greek so you have ties to that history Mm -hmm. back in the back in the days that i romanticize in roman greece there were dudes fucking boys in in bathhouses that wasn't necessarily this terrible thing culturally yeah when voters let's call them were making decisions about leaders were those decisions potentially more accurate than the decisions that voters make now uh, or was it, I think was it be- still just more of the same i think the difference was the populations were much smaller so you ran like like the the chance that you would rub elbows with let's say a senator in Rome if you live in Rome were much higher than if you rubbing elbows with Hillary Clinton today. Like not only geographically people were much more close to each other and and you also have to think about okay 
cities like we think of cities like chicago or san francisco and the size of them like that's not that's not the size like if you if you go to if you grow up in a small city for example there's a chance that you'll know a lot more people because there's less people and you're a lot closer in proximity to each other yeah um that's so, my life now yeah right so like i feel like you individuals i think the so i think the the reason why especially maybe in Athens and Rome too, like you would, and it's something that doesn't happen with our politicians now. That's why they're not scared of us, right? That's why they're not our servants anymore is that you could walk down the street and see a dude who didn't like you and he would fuck you up or like get in your face about something. So you lived amongst your constituents. I mean, small town America, small town wherever, like that's much more realistic. You know who like a trustee of your community might be and if you got beef with them you'll walk up to them and tell them hey like i don't like what you're doing and so they're like being held accountable is a lot easier in those kinds of situations and so to answer your question yes i think they could understand a little bit more about what it was that and, and the reality of who these people were because they had day-to-day -day interactions with them and as population size grows and as country size grows and empires grow like i mean when you think about the fact like let's say Ro the roman empire went all the way from northern england to like persia basically yeah. mm -hmm. you know like and this was before the internet before telephones and they were like i mean like that's it's it's insane to think that people were communicating via letter and using uh triremes and boats and chariots and horses to navigate and control that empire and of course like you know even before them like the the mongols had huge tracts of land the, the chinese you know the different dynasties like human beings have managed to learn how to control the type of uh size of of countries but like for but again that was under like more authoritarianism where it's like you have one person at the top everybody underneath follows their rule and if you don't do what they want you to do you'll get killed and so you're subservient i think when democracy came around people could have discourse and they could argue with each other and they could be like yo you're a fucking idiot if you think xyz i'll tell that to your face or i'll see you next week outside the senate and i'll beat the shit out of you and so conversation discourse logic that became part of this um also, at least in Athens, Athens itself, the city was what's its own country, basically. To the south, you have the fucking Spartans who just their major export was martial combat and control. And they had slaves uh, just that's, do all that's, the. That's great. Our export is whooping your ass. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and that's why like <laughs> you guys every export ass whooping. Yes. Yeah ass whoopings it's like so you go down to like Peloponnese is like every summer they go to war every like every year they would just basically be like okay you guys you're our you're our slaves uh you're gonna do all the farm work or whatever you're not citizens we're gonna have to just have the best army ever so if there's ever an uprising or anybody wants to step to us we'll just we'll just destroy you and and so like when Athens Athens was forced to kind of like think about I think their relationship with their neighbors a lot more than we are like what was i listening to someone was talking about the opportunity 
that we had, I want to say in like the 80s, it was some, again, I don't remember, so I'm not an expert, it was some trade agreement between whether or not they were going to decide to open up certain factories in China or Mexico. And had they made that decision to go with Mexico, there would have been like an industrial, like there would have been kind of like a revolution in Mexico that would have like brought people uh, a lot of uh, success and uh, prosperity. Instead, they went to China and outsourced a lot of their stuff there. And it's just very interesting where like our neighbors as the United States, I know we have a border issue. I know there's a lot of stuff going on down south, but in general, we don't, we don't have friction because of the size of our country and where it is and where it's located by comparison to let's say Europe, Asia, et cetera. Like we're not forced to have to deal with our neighbors the same way that all of Europe has to. And I think that that's another thing, like we're never confronted with our decision-making like the ancient Athenians were, the Romans were, when they're like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go over to, to England and invade, why not? You know, there's gonna be a war. Like we're, we, we fight amongst ourselves. We don't have the stressor of nations next to us that influence our politics as much as other places in the world. We're lucky to- because of that. Is another way to say that, or is a piece of that that we're less kept in check? Or is that not really the same mechanism? So, unfortunately, the way that some a country like us is kept in check is ideally by the people who live within it, because the only real way that we're kept in check and we're seeing it play out now is by other superpowers. And so the end game for that is, is like total destruction at this point. Nukes. If, you know, yeah, that's why there's proxy wars because you're not risking your nation state. You're going on someone else's soil and you're having skirmishes for resources or a foothold, but you're not risking the stability of the global economic system really and your interests in your own home country. I think that as this country was growing, like, you know, the 1800s post 1776, like England could reach out and touch the 13 colonies. If you read 1776, there's a really interesting fact. When I lived in New York and I used to row on the Harlem and the Hudson river, I, I was like, okay, this is a huge river. Okay. It's a tributary, like, you know, modern times. I'm not thinking about the fact that fucking warships made out of wood would come up the Hudson and using cannons would just bombard the city of New York and drop off red-coated British dudes with like muskets. You know what I mean? Like the consequences of like other people's influence on like this country when it was early, early on its its life cycle, and also states among states was a lot more keeping to your point, keeping keeping us in check than it is now. I think like now we're relying on this. I mean, like California and Illinois have a lot of, have a lot of differences in politics for a number of different reasons. Um, but California and Illinois don't really go to war with each other or like fight about like these differences the way that the 13 colonies or the way that like, you know, other countries did in our past. Like we've had a, a protracted period of stability that has allowed us to kind of get used to being business as business usual. No one can touch us, nothing can affect us. And now economically, 
internally, like that's changing. And I think people don't know how to deal with it, you know, in this country. I think they haven't, I mean, I think people are challenged every day, but as a country in general, we're not, we're not bonding together to have to make a decision for the best, the betterment of everybody like we've had in the past. And maybe that's not a good thing because we don't think about our responsibilities to this to this country because of the opportunity that it gives us, you know? Well, let's talk about a, a specific example of that. Um, about a year, year and a half ago, Joe Biden was giving a speech. And it wasn't a private speech. It was like a speech to the American people. And it's on YouTube and other parts of the internet. And he said, this is when we were beginning to talk about Ukraine and beginning to give them aid. And he said, we're giving them some financial aid, but we will not be sending them missiles or tanks because if we send them missiles or tanks, we are uh, stepping in to a nuclear war, yeah. World War Three. And now he is saying we must send them missiles and tanks. At the same time, we're still having these school shootings, which we all know I'm a fan of. Jesus Christ. <laughs> My God. But every time we have a school shooting, there's this conversation of how do we handle this? And the the main what i consider a fake argument is well we got to get rid of guns and i consider that a fake argument because there are way more guns than people you're not getting rid of our guns yeah but one of the things that comes up is uh well why don't we put armed military trained security at every school the budget for that to put armed security trained at every school would be $4 billion. And when you and I were kids, that would sound like a big number. But that number has been far eclipsed by the aid we've sent to Ukraine in just a couple of years. And Janet Yellen is talking about how Joe Biden intends, if he gets his way, to increase our deficit from over thirty trillion to fifty trillion. Mm -hmm. So that four billion is a, a splash in the pan. And then you you hear the I'm generalizing, but you hear the party or the group of people that that their solution is we need to get rid of all guns. Say, well, I don't want my kids walking into a place where there are guns. And personally, I see some irony in that because the kids have guns in the school and they're shooting people. So there are already guns there. But I think about how we, in this modern time, provide security for Americans who are important. Mm -hmm. The president walks around with armed guards Pretty much any billionaire or head of a company walks around with armed guards. 
I'm sure we wish the Cash App guy had some armed security last week when he got stabbed to death in San Francisco. I find it wild that in our current times, we don't want to secure schools so that they can be a safe place for children to learn. And you were talking earlier about how in the past, especially in other countries, people dealt with their neighbors being a physical threat to them. So they had to be prepared for that. And I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing for people to recognize that their, their physical security is important and potentially vulnerable. But yeah, the federal I, government has come out with official statements saying, you know, that's $4 billion. Where's that money going to come from? Right. And I find it ludicrous that no one's saying that about the money that we send to Ukraine. And there's this abstract notion of security that we're providing to the world by uh, not having Ukraine make a peace agreement with Russia. And yet it doesn't seem like this example and many others, like we are interested in spending that money to increase the integrity of our own land. If we even take a step further back, let's, let's table the school security for a second. Yeah. Let's just talk about clean drinking water yeah. and infrastructure. Um, so when I, when I was in high school, we did have armed police uh, in the school. Um, I'm not advocating for that. I don't. Uh, I, I don't know. And I don't mean this as not a cop, but I really, I really don't know what the solution is with a lot of these young people who are feeling compelled to do these things. Uh, and I feel truly sad because I think a lot of these kids don't have the support that they need to just deal with their problems so that that's what they feel like they have to do. And it really Amen. bums me out. Uh, um, and so let's, let's take a step back even from securing schools and talk about like, you know that your infrastructure is crumbling. You know that there's no clean drinking water. You know that there is a, a sense of hopelessness in a young generation that feels like there's no opportunity, that they are so uh, conflicted and torn apart by probably, probably multifactorial. The, yeah, but the same mechanism that is made to kind of make us think that like we're all enemies in this country right now and that like we can't have a beer with somebody who has a different political view um like that trickles down to kids feeling like they are hopeless and don't really have you know a future or don't know how to articulate the stress that they're feeling um 
the, I was listening to NPR was a couple of days ago. They were saying that they're like trying to update the, the nation's potable drinking water, you know, the drinking water situation that would cost some sort of like, I think like some sort of billions of dollars. And you're right. You think about, and it's not just, it's, it's unfortunate. It's not just Ukraine. Think about the total black budget that exists for military spending for the industrial military complex. I think it's three trillion. Of, probably way more than that. That's what's on the books, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and and you're and 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 you're you're like I think these numbers don't even mean anything anymore. Four billion. The lotto wasn't that lotto like that 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 like mega million was like a billion dollars. So like if you can win the lotto and make a billion dollars it's only 3 billion more to do what you're saying or even to like fix some sort of infrastructure yet for some reason. And I know what the reason is, and it's not just the, whatever they're trying to do in Ukraine. It, the reason is, is that our country needs conflict in order to power its, its engine. It needs spending to happen. It needs this debt to continue. It needs to print money. Like in order, like, yes, in order to talk that like, talk um, Ray Dalio. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's not, I mean, it's not just us, like China's doing the same thing, you know, and I know that right now China is at least in the, the face game of politics, like, you know, Macron and she got together and like Macron was like imploring she, because he has the ear of Putin to go in and speak and, and try to find some sort of a, uh, end to the war. But we we have our entire our entire economic engine not our entire but a large part of it is based on military spending and i'm conflicted about that too because part of it is like okay a lot of the it, well let me just say this is it true that a lot of our spending is so that we can live free lives is it true that we like that the military and that our our power is what makes us free or is it just people recycling money and debt in order to kind of keep the economy afloat because that's that's kind of what our major export has been and not like actual tangible things i think there's truth to it yeah but of yeah. course it's now a very nuanced subject it, it, it's, I mean, I'm definitely not an expert and the layers uh, are so horrible to, to peel away because you realize in the end, even the, the conflict in Ukraine, like the ultimate, like us, like the people are the ones that are suffering in Ukraine, here in Chicago, the kids that are terrified to go to school, the kids that feel compelled to do what they're doing in school is like, we're all the consequence of, uh, a government that is not doing it for the like and i'm sounding naive right because i know it's naive to think that like the government cares about you it, it doesn't it cares about quote unquote stability which is at least in our in our thing like everybody towing the line you know everybody having jobs no unrest in the streets no fighting in the street like you know martial law that shit like but that can happen so quickly because people are fed up, I think. 
now, you know, and, and it's happening in small ways all over the place. Cause I think the kids shooting, it's not just about the, the fact that there's, you can walk down the street and like trip over a gun. It's also because people feel compelled to do this for some reason also. And that's indicative of a sickness within society. And guns are part of a much larger conversation about like how people are making money in this country and proliferating what, like, so for example, you know, I, I, I think the second amendment is good. I also think that you should have a driver's license for guns. If you want to own a gun, like it's just as simple as you taking a car in your hands. Like that's not, yeah, I can go to another state and buy a bunch of guns if I wanted to right now, yet I have to have a ID in this state. And I'm not opposed to that, of like having some sort of checks and balances around ownership of it and responsible ownership of it. But we've gotten to the point where you can find them everywhere. So who's making them and how are they getting proliferated when our own government is selling guns through like, was it Fast and Furious, right? Like in order to try to catch gun traffickers and then ultimately release even more guns into the streets. Like, I mean, it's the one hand isn't talking to the other. And this is like a rambling kind of thing because I just, I don't know what the solution is. And I think that we can talk about trying to solve it, but it is so, it is just so broken in some ways, the incentives everybody has to try to get their piece of the pie. And in many ways, a lot of it actually comes down to the way children are being raised and, and parenting, right? I mean, these, these wrecked kids, it's not all coming from their peers. No, it's not. And I, and I would even say that we're dealing probably with, so if you take the second world war and you take what happened after that, the explosion of opportunity, that's because people were tired of like, oh, a lot of people saw a lot of people die and every, everything had to rebuild. So the kids of that generation lived in an incredibly prosperous time of, of relative stability, depending on where you are in the world, because of the fact that we basically leveled Europe, Japan, you know, places like that. And so I think we're still dealing with like fallout from just our human need to need to like fuck with each other every cycle and and there are there are people who didn't want to like be hard on their kids because their kid their parents were hard on them and and you kind of get this generational trauma that like continues and i that's a tricky one man that's a tricky one because i don't think that we'll ever not be fucked up i think that opportunity like yes i agree with you like responsible parenting is really important you should have you should have a family system that works and that teaches responsibility to kids but a lot of people have kids and can't even take care of themselves let alone their kids um and in this country too it's gotten harder to be a responsible parent because it's incredibly expensive to do that as well. So if you're struggling and your kids are struggling, you know, where does it, where does it end? And now we're going to have a population collapse because people aren't having kids. Something that's interesting so, about that 
is statistically. Right now we have this new thing where very small number of kids and it gets amplified by like Twitter and, and mm -hmm. major media, but there's a small population of kids that have begun to get sterilized. Mm -hmm. Like before they're even hitting or done with puberty. And statistically, the kids that are being sterilized come from wealthy families. And it's very interesting to me that it's people with the means that are teaching their children that it isn't a component of life to develop and find out who you are. And I actually understand how that has gotten out of control in that there's for some people there's this very strong desire to overcompensate and tell your kid that whatever they want to be or whoever they are in a, in a moment is okay so mm -hmm. for instance and it's coming from love it's coming from love but you can also show love by being a disciplinarian you know right it's like it's rooted in love but that love has become distorted and instead of teaching someone true self-love they're teaching their kids that they will love any decision that they make and many of our decisions as we grow up fueled by our chemistry like fueled by our endocrine system in many ways um they're like stepping stones they're transitory. Just like a lot of kids grow up, a lot of boys grow up and they want to be like professional baseball players or they mm -hmm. want to be in the NBA. And then they realize that they're never going to be six feet tall and their vertical sucks. And you, you transition through that and realize, okay, maybe I'm going to be a software engineer. And you come to terms with that. But those transitory experiences are getting replaced with transitions. And forcing a kid into a place where they can't evolve in what they think or where they want to be. Because they're young adults and all of a sudden they're stuck in this body that science created. And uh, this is just an opinion, but when you have been sterilized and had your body cut up and altered, it's much harder to make a full transition into who you actually embody as a person because now you're stuck with the rest of your life with essentially a deformed body. And um, no matter how much you want to go back to the way you might have been originally, you're never going to be in that, that form. It's just. Um, yeah, it's, I will it's say tied that, that and bolted together. I think, though, that that ultimately is like the human um, journey. And you, to your point, 
um, I think we're really, we've become very focused on this because it is the, it is a new manifestation of identity that is um, like coming into the spotlight. I think that the, the, I don't want to say libertarian, but like this is this, let's remove political nomenclature from it for a second. I think that in every age, there have been individuals struggling with their identity based on, and I don't mean sexual, I don't mean whatever, just as like who they are, their ego, their id, their psychology, based on all sorts of external influences and all sorts of experiences, positive, negative, neutral, whatever. I think parents uh, attempt to, when they have means, attempt to help their children. Some do it by teaching them responsibility, by being hard on them. Others allow them to you know, do anything that they want, wear whatever they want, be whoever they want. And ultimately, I think, I think we need to give the power back to the individual to make that decision. Now, if it's a mistake and they feel that it's a mistake, then we need to say, well, you made that decision and make them accountable for the decisions that they have made. I think that it's kind of, I've been coming, I've been thinking about this subject and just the, the general kind of subject of like personal responsibility a lot lately. At a certain point, you are responsible for your children. And I think that we have to be really honest about like, like, and, and, and talk about bureaucracy, like people, like an 18 year old who is like starting uh, a startup versus an 18 year old that like is not mature enough to like even be able to like have a cell phone in their possession right like each individual is different and has been raised differently i think what we have tried to do is like standardize identify uh, make these rigid boxes around like okay you're an adult when you're 18 i mean it makes makes some sense you know but like I know a lot of people who are in their 40s who are not adults still, you know? So I think like for me at this point, you need to also kind of be like, you made your bed, you sleep in it. And that is like, instead of trying to, not, not to say that you shouldn't prevent certain things from happening, but like, even with these kids, I think it's the responsibility of people to be like, yes, not yes or no, but hey, these are the consequences. Lay them all out you've got to make that decision. And if you don't like the decision that you made 10 years down the road, maybe it's permanent and you can't change it now. And that's a hard lesson. And, and, I, and I, I feel like attempting to use government, this is where it gets tricky, right? It's like nothing is in a vacuum. So government operates as if that's a presupposition sometimes by making laws. And those laws are subject to change, but as an individual who's trying to like figure out their identity, you could have a epiphany when you're 80 years old and change your life at that point. Like, I think it's up to the individual. And if they don't like what happens and tough titties, like you gotta, you gotta move through that. And so to your point about what's happening to young kids, maybe in 10, 20 years, they will have a realization and do something about it for their community or whatever but i just i'm i i think like i'm trying to be personally responsible for the things that i'm responsible for and i'm trying not to 
exert that over uh, apart from like my family and you know that's that's where it gets tricky but like these conversations about like what's happening for me lately i've been like okay well you allowed your kid to do x or your kid decided to do this or that or the other everyone's got to deal with the consequence i think we, we've been sheltering people from consequences for very long and now the wheels are kind of coming off on that and just like there are consequences to having a 50 trillion dollar deficit we're going to have to deal with it and the government that made those decisions is going to have to deal with it it's not it might not be quote unquote fair or good or bad or whatever but action and reaction so i wonder what what the pendulum swing talking about history what's going to happen when it comes back the other way and I find it, I find it, especially with like the idea of identity, you know, those individuals who decide, who have a hard time or are trying to understand where they are and who they, and where they belong and who they are, like, that's, that's, that's like the hero's journey, you know, Joseph Campbell, like you gotta, you gotta figure it out. And so lately I have been a lot less paying attention to, to that stuff personally because I can only affect what I can affect. And maybe that's not the right way to think about it sometimes, but I'm trying to, I think the challenge is like when government gets involved and then starts saying, you can't say this, or you can't say that, or you have to do this, or you have to do that, or you have to acknowledge this, or you have to acknowledge that. feels like a cop-out, but I feel like we talk about personal responsibility a lot of the time. Like, are those parents responsible then? Like, that's a question I would have for you. Like, who's responsible for... If the kid's uh, less uh, than 18, I see a lot of responsibility on a parent because yeah. they're signing off on yeah. stuff. I think Yeah, that... because I mean, especially for your medical profession, you were a medical professional. Like there is, there are all these disclaimers, disclosures, everything, you know, from legal liability, you know. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the hero's journey is a really significant topic. And we do talk about it a lot, especially offline over the years we're both approaching 40 and we're both continuing to find like who we are. And that's a long time. Yeah. Um, We'd be dead in ancient Greece probably yeah. at this point. Yeah. Before we figured it out, I think that one of the inherent flaws in the way in certain States, because laws do dictate a lot of this stuff, uh, they do. It's, it's being handled is very faulty in that it suggests that a person can figure out who they are when they're still in their teenage years. And that's not very fruitful. No, it's not. Because you're not, you don't have many tools when you're that age and you haven't had a chance mm -hmm. to, to gain knowledge and experience and the fact of life is that a lot of people fail at being successful internally and externally. But when you're on that journey and things do work out, it's like the most fulfilling objective that a, a human can experience, mm -hmm. finding their true self. Um, when you get locked into something 
before you've had a chance to do all that work, I think you're sabotaging that whole process and the potential of a person. And uh, I think that's unfortunate because I see the character and I see the ability of people that have lived an adult life of struggling through that. And they have a lot more to offer than people who don't have the ability to to grind through things and to work through problems and to solve challenges that do much more to complete a person than if I decided to dye my hair or get a facelift. Mm -hmm. It's not that there's not augment. Mm -hmm. I do wonder though, just to push back a little bit, I wonder if in 20 years, if you have a conversation with somebody who made that decision and regrets it, like what lessons they might have to impart. And like, I think that we won't know, right? We won't know what the ultimate consequence of these conversations of identity or consequence or just outcome, I guess, um, is. And I'm trying to be patient about that because it very well could be that collectively we we agree on one that x was right or wrong or y was right or wrong um i think in general and i know we're talking about like a lot of like technological advances i mean if you think about the the speed of events that have transpired in the last three years and things that have occurred it seems accelerated and intense and um, an upheaval versus our lives before the pandemic, let's say. And maybe that speed was always there, but I do feel like since the pandemic to today, there has been this like bell curve of like stress, anxiety, uh, things happening because collectively as a, a, a world, you know, and, and like, I feel like we're still, a lot of this stuff is like happening at such a breakneck pace that we don't know what's going to happen when the dust settles. So one thing that you and I have talked about a lot lately is patience of like, if your body is hurt, you got to be patient. If, uh, if you're working towards a goal, you have to be consistent and patient. I've been thinking about like what what is what is like being patient with some of these things that are in like the zeitgeist right now and seeing what happens with them and not and just kind of like chilling in the cut, you know, like just keeping your eyes open. So I I don't know, but I like especially with this conversation around identity and things that are happening to people who are of a young age, I really am curious to see where where it goes in the future and if if there is going to be kind of this um regret or if there's going to be a dawning of a new social construct that exists but the other thing too is like i'm just over like you have to pay attention i know you you especially pay attention to all sorts of different you're very good about having a well-rounded kind of consumption of news of reading of uh thought and you're a very patient person so i'm just curious 
are you getting tired of the kind of speed at which things seem to be happening in the decision making? Or do you think that you have kind of the ability to be in a wait and see frame of mind? I'm doing it for my own mental, mental, my, my own sanity, because I have a lot of anxiety about the future in general. And that can be counterproductive because nothing like all that is, is like trying to control the unknown. Right. Well, here's how it is for me personally. And it's unique to me because I am an individual with the life that I have paved out right now. Um, I get, there's like a, um, there's a trade-off right now. I get this payoff in, uh, accepting this flow of news or information in that it gives me material. Right. And I can be creative and I can go tell jokes about it and create joy out of stuff that nowhere else is crazy. Then like a comedy stage, is anyone getting any joy out of it? It's all very toxic. Right. Part of that trade-off is that there's so much news being thrown at people that we have no, no like collective talking points. There's like a mm-hmm. 50-50 chance when I go um, talk about a current event that anyone's going to have heard about it. And it didn't used to be that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Aside from news... People used to know who the major movie stars were. They'd know about like the major entertainment media gossip. That's not the case anymore. Everything is compartmentalized. Yeah. So you don't necessarily know, even though you have the opportunity to get all this material, you don't know if it's going to have a payoff. And that can mm-hmm. get overwhelming in dealing with that kind of material because I only become a good stand-up if I'm able to hit on points that can get a whole room of people on the same page consistently. So even though that material's there, sometimes it's like, I don't even want to deal with this stuff because I don't know if it's going to work. Be better to talk about taking shits because everybody takes a shit. Right. When I was trading, news became this wonderful thing for me because I could speculate on it and get paid. And that completely changed how I processed the news because I wasn't putting any faith in it. Mm-hmm. And I was just putting faith in myself. And right. when I saw bullshit, it didn't matter if like, you know, I had good faith in the decision and none of that mattered. I would just put the trade on. That was and, a data point. Yeah. And get, get paid for that. Um, now that I'm out of that, it's just so fucked up to try and follow all of that. Oh um, yeah, you can't. It's it's all stupid. Most of it's lies. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like where I'm at now, it's my responsibility to have a handle on that stuff as much as one can to have a handle mm-hmm. on the conversation, not necessarily what's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. But um, it's work more than it is pleasure. 
No, it absolutely is. And that's kind of, that's a really good way of putting it. That's what my point right now is that, for example, trying to unpack the opinions of a 16 year old with my experience of what it was like when I was there and like, and also like what that 16 year old has to deal with. Like I was talking to a high school uh, teacher last night who has been now through like two or three legit lockdowns because of guns in a school. And he's a young man. Uh, his opinion is much more in what's the word I'm looking for about guns is like much more uh, extreme based on his experience than mine is because I've had people in high school bring guns to school, but it wasn't, it was like in the early 2000s and it wasn't, it was like gang related and it wasn't any, that anything happened, right? Um, like Columbine had been the only real thing, like, and, and I like having an, like trying to take in all the data points from like personal experience and individuals around you having experiences in a world that has kind of gone off kilter and then also seeing to your point like what's happening in the media which news outlet is saying what ones that you used to trust you find out they're being funded by by government anyway and and it, the extremes like like the extremes of that spin have just gotten like wider and wider you know and so that's why i think waiting and seeing is been a challenge but also like part of what i'm trying to do because otherwise like you said it's overwhelming it's uh but conversely as i'm hearing myself talk about it, it's like okay so then what's the breaking point like when do you get fucking pissed off because like you know that for example money doesn't matter anymore in our deficit like nothing is real and then you see that for example they were trying to destabilize the value of digital currency and then they turn around and they're like guess what you know we've been doing all we can with through the sec and through all this stuff and this is a very small example to like destabilize your faith example. and like yeah destabilize your faith in digital currency for example and now we're going to just redo our own because we know that like at some point when we get to like quadrillions of debt then like money doesn't mean anything anymore so we need to like redefine like we're, we're going through we're going to have the same kind of thing that happened when we moved off the gold standard when we go from like physical digital currency from fiat to digital like i, I believe that is going to happen you know why that's a major point over the last two and a half decades money has become the only thing that's valued by society right uh, people's income um regardless of if you think it's engineered or organic marriage and family are not valued anymore there mm -hmm. is not pride in career anymore mm -hmm. and, and part of that is because the people who have made the most money in the last couple of decades have done such arbitrary things they don't necessarily make any contribution to society and the people who do contribute to society have made relatively less money year after year so they've mm -hmm. lost pride in that um there there is no pride in like accomplishments such as being a good athlete or being a good student the only thing that is valued is a person's income and now that income has become such a 
well, you described it well. It doesn't really mean anything. It, it, it doesn't, mean, especially recently. It, it means something for people who have millions of dollars in their bank account, as long as their cash flow doesn't disappear. Right. But those, or those the value people, of their millions of dollars changes. Right. Those to, people to be hundreds of dollars. There's so few and far between right now. There's there's never been a greater gap in wealth. Mm -hmm. Um we're we're on the precipice with what they're doing with these digital dollars of creating a society that I mean of nihilists that believe in nothing. Nothing is valued. Mm -hmm. And when you have nothing that you value, you you become someone who exists in a much more desperate situation. And as we have seen, people don't deal well with being in desperate situations now. No, they don't. We, you know, I think something that we have in common is when we were 16, we weren't enjoying life either. Yeah. Yeah, I think I did, a, I think I did, a lot of I our parents, your, you know, you, your dad is an immigrant, so it may have been different for him. But I know that a lot of the boomers, they had very nice childhoods. Mm -hmm. They were having a good time, and yeah. they didn't they didn't relate to our angst or the things that they were dealing with. In many ways, because I don't think they took the time to look. They just said, "Well, you know, I went through this too," and. History has shown us that no, you you didn't go through this. You mm -hmm. didn't go through this at all. But I think that there is um, some significance to our opinion as people who weren't in the best place at 16 when talking about a developing youth where the majority of those kids are not in a good place now. Mm-hmm. I think a big thing too is and growing up again in like a ethnic community. You know, there is, so we, we celebrate, I mean, I'm not Jewish, but we celebrate Passover every year with uh, really close family friends. And we did, um, you know, the Seder where we read like from religious texts and we do like the tradition stuff. I really think that the loss of traditions uh, cultural, uh, you know, traditions, not to say that they can't be supplanted with new traditions, which I think like, for example, I think football is a new religion. I think uh, like sports are new religions for people. People gravitate towards like wanting to be on a team, wanting to share these collective experiences. Um, but traditions in certain communities are so deep rooted that they really give you a sense of identity. And I think that what's happening in this country a lot is that People don't have, you know, like, for example, St. Patrick's Day, there's that joke, it's like everyone's Irish on St. Patrick's Day. People who are like third, fourth generation Irish, like they really gravitate towards whatever that history, you know, the fire departments, the police in Chicago, let's say specifically, right? Like the traditions of Irish American uh, heritage. And you see a lot of Americans gravitating and identifying with like that kind of a thing. When you're like first generation, or an immigrant, it's much stronger because that's your cultural identity. And I think as a country, we, our cultural identity is lost. Like what it means to be, like what it means to be an American to like, let's say my father and like my family is a lot different than what it means to be an American to somebody who just, just was like all their family has been here, grown up here, have taken 
the government what it does for granted and like have just lived here you know like we're only two generations removed from this really being the melting pot that it was like when our grandparents or great-grandparents came to this country and i think the further away we get from that the harder it is to define what and who we are and it's it's unfortunate i think that that's like where we're at a crisis of identity in this country literally because of the fact that we don't have a cultural um like a, a collective cultural uh, experience right now like and 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 that's a really important thing for human beings is like i'm starting to learn it's really important to have roots somewhere and this is a country of there's a huge population of individuals who don't even know their roots here from let's say the the, the black community right like that's the, the identity is has like that that sever that you've been severed kind of from your past in some ways and that's why like history kind of coming around full circle is important because there are things that we did thousands of years ago that we're still doing today um i i don't know what the i don't know what the new identity is going to be for this country i hope it's a good one but all signs are pointing to it being very conflicted you know like lines let's are being drawn about, in the sand let's talk about one more thing that we're conflicted about then we'll wrap it up. And I think this is something that we have different opinions on, but Trump is being, has been indicted and is being prosecuted by the New York DA. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people really happy about that. Yeah. My concern, not even a concern, my, uh, something that I think is important to note that is getting completely left out from the conversations of one ideological side is that when Hillary Clinton got found guilty and fined for uh, illegally affecting the election and uh, destroying a lot of documents that could not legally be destroyed. Trump's administration said, we're not going to prosecute any of these people criminally. Mm -hmm. And the Democratic fixation on Trump has led them to this place and i think maybe even regardless of how it turns out they've now set precedent to go after any corrupt official criminally and i think that that could be a good thing maybe that will actually drain the swamp but it could also just bring our already sputtering government to a complete halt because so much attention and so much money right now is spent on dealing with stuff that doesn't affect our infrastructure and doesn't affect our actual national security, we might turn into a government of just prosecuting each other and sensationalizing stuff that has nothing to do with anything. And uh, I think obviously it's, I think it's already happened. On it. 
Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's already happened in the public, like well, in the public and private sector. Like this is an incredibly litigious country and always has been. You can sue anybody for fucking anything. Uh, government officials have largely been able to weasel their way out of all sorts of all sorts of legal recourse. I mean, Bill Clinton perjured himself, literally. And because of his position and station, like, got a pass. People are getting passes left, right, and center because of their power. I agree with you. The upside of this is that they're, the Democrats' rabid fixation with trying to nail Trump with something have forced them to take something that all politicians are doing in Washington. Uh, hush money, like, are, like youth, like what is lobbyists? What are lobbyists then? Right. Like if, if we, if we like, let's, let's, let's take away the, the, the fact that he probably has done this multiple times now by the, the rule of the law, is that illegal? Yes. Fine. But let's not be naive and say that only Trump has done this when every single fucking politician, lobbyist, like people, private Everyone citizens. Everyone on have Epstein's people, client list. I mean, I mean, like, let's let's be real. So the problem that I find with this and I, I don't I don't have an issue saying I do not like Donald Trump. OK, uh, and this is like, again, you can have a nuanced conversation about the individual, their politics, et cetera, and not have to get up in arms about opinion of the individual and their capability. He, as an individual, is not somebody that I like. At the same time, I can't say with a straight face that this is a witch hunt where they've been trying to do multiple things in order to destabilize his ability to run in an election like this is this is leveraging the courts for a legitimate illegal activity to have an effect on a broader political outcome for this country and that gets really messy because you did it to me i can do it to you and this tit for tat that we have between left and right in this country because i think they're, they're two sides of the same coin when it comes to not the opinion of the everyday people but the actual individuals of government they are getting to a point now where they are i think going to gum up the system with this constant infighting that there's going to be major consequences for when real shit needs to get done there aren't real individuals left like a real president would say, I don't give a fuck about what's happening, like with this case, with this, with the election, I'm going to try to do what I can do. And a real Congress person in the next four years to make sure that I'm serving the people. And I know this is ideological, but that's what your job is. Okay. They're and serving clean themselves. Water all to drink. Yeah. And there's clean water to drink or bridges aren't collapsing or trains aren't derailing because because we've we've decided to like you know not have any sort of like you know checks and balances with our infrastructure and private companies are able to do whatever the hell they want with a rail system that's transporting noxious chemicals and dangerous shit anyway so well also as an aside, this, fuck those guys yeah for real yeah like 
Like they, you guys, they, yeah, you the, guys, you guys should not be in charge of your company anymore. If a hundred percent, if because the government decided to check only once every two years, instead of every year, you just let everything go to shit. Yeah. I mean, you worked in an industry like that. And when you worked in the shipyards, like think about if, and, and, and I know, yeah, I know it was a nightmare and, and I'm sure there was a, and there's a very dangerous job. And think about if think about if like something like that had happened where like a huge boat had like flipped upside down and now it was like polluting the harbor. Like I mean, like people have to be held. Well, that did happen. I had to take part in cleaning up an oil spill. Yeah, there's a and there was an oil spill in the bay. I'm not going to say which one. And the coast guard came in and all of these fancy people came in and you never saw it reported on the news because their job was to hide it. And then they had a whole bunch of people without proper hazmat equipment floating around in boats, trying to scoop up oil and lay down towels on the, on the surface of the water that, that are hydrophilic. So they would, they would suck up the, it was an absolute Mm -hmm. nightmare. Yeah. And so here's the thing, right? It's like all these things are happening all the time. And yet we are focusing, focusing on the sensationalism of a president well forget him as a president for a second this is donald trump the dude is smarmy and slippery as they come you don't think he's been doing this for forever as a private citizen before he got involved in politics the irony of trump is that he knows all these people he funded hillary clinton's campaigns he knows that they're all snakes and he is one too he's just on an honest liar like a, you know what i mean like he just says like these people are not telling you the fucking truth and it sucks because like he's not wrong about that so like even though i know that the dude himself is like basically him and giuliani were their own mob when they were cleaning up new york against the mob like these are the types of people that get to these positions i think anybody who truly wanted to get into politics for altruistic purposes is gone. I think anybody who really is a servant is either old and on their way out, like let's say Bernie, if you know, or they go there and they get corrupted immediately by the system, like some of these new new people coming in. I mean, we've talked about Dan Crenshaw, you know, um, like like for okay, Tulsi Gabbard, right? She had to leave. She had to leave because she was straight a straight shooter. And yet you say that now because there's one soundbite of Hillary Clinton discrediting her. People are like, oh, you know, I'm not so sure. Fuck all that, dude. Like left, right, it doesn't matter. This election, this not election, this uh, this trial going on, it's it's not it's not right. Like by the letter of the law, yes, you should prosecute everybody who's doing that. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's politics. They're 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 doing it to to attempt to alter the the outcome of an election. They are right now. Like, let's be honest about that. And the let's New York be honest DA is, ev- is not doing it to clean up New York City. No, not they're not. And everybody is- crime in New York City, not doing it to make New York City more affordable, which no. he could be spending his time doing. And, and at the same time, you know, so there was an election here in Chicago. I get really frustrated when I see people standing 60 feet away from or a hundred feet, whatever the legal limit is. And they have buttons and stickers on, you know, showing their specific uh, candidate that they're backing and whether or not they care that that's right or not, it bothers me. I'm going there to vote for who I think I should vote for. I've seen the signs. 
like don't go like like in Chicago that what the saying is vote early vote often because it doesn't matter if you're left or right in the city we've had five out of the last six governors yeah four or five out of the last six governors indicted Democrats and Republicans we've had Democrats and Republicans be super corrupt in the city like we just have to we think that we think that our political leaning is part of our identity when none of those people care about us none of them do and what they do is then they use the system as a way to fight each other instead of actually going like like we were talking about Julius Caesar like assassinating each other which would be honestly a little bit not to say that I'm advocating that but like that's a much more honest that's a much more honest thing than what's actually happening now. It's like, okay, I don't like this guy. He's getting my way. I'm going to kill him. Like, I, like that at least is cut and dry. Whereas, like here now, you're, you know, people are celebrating that he's been indicted. Yet, uh, it very well could backfire on all the Democrats who are like, you know, slapping themselves on the back, saying, "Now we're here. We are. And we're gonna, you know, we've got him. Fine, we got him after all this time." It, yeah. Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Ronald Reagan, fucking every president at this point has done something like this and now can be indicted. So I'm not saying let's not hold people accountable, but let's also be realistic about what's happening here. And it's it's frustrating to me because like I would much rather have him uh, lose in the court of public opinion based on the merits of his messaging and his his what he has and hasn't done and the lies that he has or hasn't said and how he didn't do or didn't do than this. But that's me being idealistic because at some point, every single politician, like if Obama, you know, Obama had an opportunity and I don't remember what it was exactly, but like there was, I think it was super PACs, right? There was a, the opportunity to get rid of super PACs and they didn't. So People are peddling favors through money, through donations, right? Which is a legal term, but it's basically payoff money. It's, it's happening all the time. So I think, I mean, we know that the laptop situation with Hunter Biden was a, a huge, a huge issue. And now it's coming to light. And, you know, like, it's not a conspiracy theory. It happened. Like there are much larger, there's much bigger fish to fry than whether or not he paid Stormy Daniels hush money to not talk about what they were doing. And, and, and this shows you as much as like, if, is that actually what's happening? I don't care because I'm not paying attention to it. Like, I just know that he was indicted and I'm concerned that to your point, is this what it's going to be? Is that anytime someone tries to make a move, they're going to get gummed up in the system or someone's going to try to assassinate their character and I don't, I want more options. I want more options for more responsible people who care about what's actually happening here than a billionaire from New York or a guy who is a hundred years old, who's like not well. That's what we should be upset about, that we don't have good candidates. And it's, and, you know, Speaking of good candidates, the Chicago election's interesting to me. I really hope I really hope it works out. That's all I can say about it. When I hope it works the, out. When the election happened, there was this thread on Facebook with Chicago people that I know and um wealthy guy planning on leaving Chicago anyway mm -hmm. if he hasn't already moved. 
was saying, well, this signals the end of Chicago. Bunch of comments. And I, I made the comment, genuine question. Um, a lot of times when I say stuff, it doesn't sound like a genuine question. But I think my question was, who the fuck is voting for these people? Mm -hmm. I really wanted to know who the fuck is voting for these people. Yeah. And not in a way like, fuck them. But who who are these people that got behind this guy? And what's the name of the new new mayor? Uh, Brandon Johnson. Yeah. Uh, just from a far out perspective, Brandon Johnson looks very ill-equipped to be a mayor and solve any problems. The only thing that I heard that was a real knock on him was he didn't pay $3,000 of like electric bills. And I'm thinking to myself, what politician does pay their bills? None. They don't pay medical bills. They don't so have like, to. What is that? And you know, you're talking about hush money and dark money and like, yeah. Yeah. What is him not paying $3,000 in bills that maybe he couldn't afford at the time or maybe whatever. Yeah. What does that yeah. have to do with anything? And I had someone give me a eloquent response about um, something that made a lot of sense to me. He said, you know, the, who you hear in Chicago are people who live in a small part of the city that are very wealthy and mm -hmm. they have, been able to live in this this bubble this capsule for a long time and live a very nice life but the vast majority of the city deals with a lot of poverty a lot of bad mm -hmm. conditions mm -hmm. and that's who is voting for this guy because they believe that he has interest in trying to correct that now, that doesn't mean that the approaches he's going to use or, or campaigned on using would be effective. It just means that he was able to create belief or hope in these people that don't like their lives in Chicago. And everyone else's comment was, this is the end of Chicago. And my thought was, as someone who for me felt that there was a lot wrong with that city, even living in the nice places. And part of that is because I identify um, these big wealth gaps and these lacks of true diversity as a big problem in a community. Mm -hmm. My thought was, this is what makes you think Chicago is going to fail. Like, this yeah. is what makes you think that this isn't, isn't like the right community to be in because when there was a mayor that you guys liked in, in power, I was like, I got to get the hell out of here. Oh and yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, the dailies that, were not good for the city, you know? So it's like these views in this echo chamber are almost meaningless because when the person that someone wants in power is in power in a community like that, there's no effort to fix the real problems. 
And if there was effort made, maybe they fail, maybe it works out, but then you don't have people like Johnson running and getting elected to fix these problems that you didn't attempt to fix. And I always go back to when I would volunteer in the South side schools and asked several people on this Facebook thread at the time, Hey, come with me. Nobody came. Nobody saw how bad it was. And it's as if, even though you live within 10 miles of this stuff, you don't know how bad it actually is. And that's tragic to me in terms of humanity, but it's also, I see the humor in people getting upset about a guy who didn't pay $3,000 in electric bills as to, that's to the worst you have to say about end. something because they, you know, they have yeah. so much money they can pay their bills yeah and who knows the how thing honest I, that money they make really is the thing i can say about chicago politics is unless you live in this city or like grew up in the city like it it, it is at least my experience been you vote and you hope for the best <laughs> and in general uh what ends up happening is the every candidate ends up somehow regardless of their position doing the same thing there are entrenched power dynamics in the city between like aldermen and different commission boards and things like that the city is still um uh, i'm biased but i do think like from a livable and it's changing it's getting less livable but like you are forced to live with your neighbors, to commute with your neighbors through neighborhoods, uh, because it is, it's not like San Francisco or New York where you know, there are neighborhoods, it's like villages that are all connected by like main thoroughfares, right? So you could be next to a neighborhood that's really bad, quote unquote, and live in a really nice house in your neighborhood. And so there's this like, interesting thing that happens as you move across neighborhood and there are neighborhoods that you would never even go to even though they're technically within the city limits like it's it's a it's a massive city but what ends up happening and that's why i said when you brought it up like i hope it works out is they had two democrats right really two democrats running and the there wasn't a republican candidate really but the conversation felt as if you're talking about at times when i would hear people talking about one candidate over another the way that we're talking about left and right in this country when it's basically two people on the left. So if I just, Good point. I, I, at this point, you know, at this point, I'm like, Hey, let's just see what happens. We voted, we voted for who we voted for. The outcome is what the outcome was. He has some interesting ideas about wanting to, you know, uh, augment the police department with uh, mental health care and like social services. Uh, I hope it works. Like I, I like, there's nothing else I could say. I live here, you know, like the success of one candidate over another is you're absolutely right. has nothing to do with the candidate, but has to do with the people in the, in the city or in the community that end up wanting to try to make changes for themselves as well. You can't just cast your ballot and then not be responsible. And I mean, Bingo. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not anybody uh, I'm not call. I'm the pot calling the kettle black. I don't volunteer anywhere. Uh, you know, you're I not really I just the pot calling the kettle black because you're not using a megaphone. 
to judge people? I just can't. Uh, growing up the way that we grew up, in the place that we grew up, everybody would come through the doors of the restaurant, and it didn't like it. Just they were there to eat food and be civil, and that's it. People would disagree about politics, but again, it, it's about proximity to people you don't like coming full circle that you don't agree with or that you have issues with. If you live next to people and there's some friction like that happens in cities and it's not just like, you know, we live very close, like the Midwest in general has this weird thing of like, there are a lot of right of center, a lot of left of center people that like live next door to each other and certain neighborhoods have more uh, population of one political alignment or the other one. But ultimately they're all going and doing stuff together in the same city. I think on the coasts, especially, it's a lot more one political alignment in a major city and then in the surrounding area, the opposite. So I think the Midwest is unique that it has that kind of like split. And Chicago is a very liberal city with a lot of conservatives that live in it. Um, so I think people are forced to see their neighbors to have conversations, to hear. I had a third, I had a cop randomly was standing in front of me at Starbucks last week. And I was like, you can go ahead, man. I don't know what I want, whatever. And he just started talking to me out of nowhere. Super nice guy. He's like, you know, I've been on 30 years on the force. And I just asked him, I was like, how are you doing? He's like, it's been really hard. He's like, I don't want to even tell you. It's like, you know, last, like last night we had to pull these guys over. They had like 15 guns in the car, blah, blah, blah. He was telling me all this stuff. And I was like, well, what do you think about this election? I, I was genuinely curious. He's like, all I know is I just hope that things work out. I was like, that's where we're at right now. And I think that's where everybody's at right now, especially with the hangover from the last few years. So the stuff that's happening in Washington, people just need to chill out and not put their faith. You can't put all your faith in your politicians. You can only really put faith in yourself. And I know you live put in a faith in your family. That, yeah, I think you live in a community where that is... Uh, probably a major tenet of how people want to live. Uh, and I think that that's important because you and I might disagree politically, but if you need help getting out of your driveway because there's like 15 feet of snow, I'm going to help shovel it with you. You know, like, why wouldn't I? That That's like, that's what I think is missing from the conversation. And I think that like you said, with a megaphone, I think a lot of people feel that way about their neighbors and their friends and things like that. But we just don't see those stories because all we're hearing about is divisiveness. And then that that behooves people in power to keep us fighting amongst Absolutely. ourselves and not paying attention, not paying attention to them. Good stuff. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Patrick Ely podcast. As always, it's for entertainment purposes only. It's a work of fiction. It's not financial or medical advice.